save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning. You're listening to Our Wild World, and I'm Ellie Weiss. On this program, we've discussed the challenges facing many of our world's iconic species and wildlands, the big cats among them, the problems we face in protecting them in the wild and from unscrupulous breeders around the globe, the illegal trade and wildlife trafficking. Today, my guest is Chris Slappendell, founder of the Wildlife Advocates Foundation and administrator of the Facebook page I Am a Tiger Advocate. And which is a leading warehouse of all things tiger, tiger news, articles, and everything that's going on with tigers worldwide. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Chris. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I've been looking forward to this. We have a lot to discuss. We haven't uh, talked tigers on this program a whole lot uh, for a couple of years. So this is going to be a great conversation about all things tiger. So why don't you tell us first, and we'll get through this through the program, how you got started and a little information about you and why tigers. Okay, uh, well, let's first start with me. Um, uh, I'm 52 years old. I live in Holland, uh, and I have a business background. Um, I started to become involved in tiger conservation or tiger awareness activities uh, around 2012. Um, I am a tiger fan all of my life. When I was young, I was absolutely flabbergasted when I... Uh, looked at tiger movies or tiger series, uh, but I actually never did really something with it until 2012. Um, and the reason why I did that is basically a quite stupid one. I wanted to go on a holiday and I wanted to see tigers in the wild and never saw tigers in the wild. I visited a lot of African countries. Uh, but there are no wild tigers there, so I wanted to go to India or Thailand. Um, so you did a trip. When, you did a trip. This trip you did was something like 40, 42 countries? Well, 24. 24. <laughs> I had it backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what, what I wanted to do, um, I realized while reading about uh, tigers, I realized that I didn't know anything about tigers. Um, and that changed me um, as a person, because I, I I felt like stupid that I didn't know anything about tigers, and they were supposed to be my favorite animals. So I just got mad uh, uh, on myself, and I started to think, what what could I do? And uh, this is why I uh, I created an awareness campaign, which uh, in the end uh, resulted in visiting 24 countries to raise awareness on tigers. So you you did this trip first. So, yeah. what was it that grabbed you about tigers? How beautiful they are? How elusive they are? And then, um, what did you find? What was the difference between that dream of tigers and the reality you found when you visited tiger habitat? Yeah, tigers grab me because they are just beautiful. Uh, they are uh, they are colors. They, 
the way they move, uh, their arrogance. It was just fascinating always to see them. So basically, I wanted to see that in back when I was supposed to go on holiday, but uh, the reality was like completely different. Um, before I started to travel in those through those 24 countries, uh, which took me like six months, um, I, I learned a lot about the, the problems uh, regarding to tigers. Uh, and when I visited those 24 countries, uh, the, the harsh reality was much, much worse than I read in all kinds of reports. Um, what, what, what were some of those things you discovered? Um, in terms of what's fa- what was facing tigers at the time you chose to travel? Um, uh, one of the things uh, that was then very unknown was the, the, the tiger farms in China, which is really horrible when you see like 64 tigers in one big cage uh, like crawling and, and being up and down and, and being fed only like a small portion so they would really fight so it, it would be like attractive for uh, visitors to watch. That was really terrible uh, to witness. Uh, that's one of the things. And we're going to get not- in, we're going to get into that and a little bit yeah. later in the program as to what these tiger sanctuary and I use that word loosely, tiger zoo loosely because what they really are, breeding farms. And we're going to get into that and what you discovered about that um, a bit further into the program. So when you went to the countries, did you see a tiger in the wild? Only one. And where was that? That was in India. Yeah. After traveling for five and a half months, uh, I was in India and I saw a tiger. uh, And it was incredible. On the other hand, I... In that trip, I also saw like 2,000 tigers in captivity in horrible conditions. Uh, I visited a lot of uh, like jungles, uh, areas where tigers live. Uh, like 30-40% of my time was in jungles. Uh, never saw a tiger, only some tracks. Um, and when I saw that tiger, it was like beautiful and it, it amazed me. And I still think about it uh, one every like one or two weeks <laughs> what I what I always realized and that was that moment when I saw it I also felt an intruder I didn't belong there so I huh? had like second thought, thoughts about being there that's yeah. that's a that's an important point that gets into a lot of what we talk about you know wilderness nature we do need to be out in it and learn from it but at the same time there are places we belong and places where we don't. No, and, and that's one of my major, like, important issues. Um, we need to uh, grow the respect for tigers again, which we have lost in the last hundred years. That's so, one of my key things. So, in, in that vein, when you visited these various countries, and obviously you went through villages and major urban areas... Did you talk to people about their view about tigers, you know, between the mythology and the spirituality of tigers to the reality of using tiger parts in traditional medicine? Did you find a disconnect there? 
Yeah, well, basically what I did, I wanted to raise awareness. And um, uh, what I did, I went to a country and before talking to journalists, I spoke like to like a hundred journalists. I spoke with people that were into conservation or into tiger farming or into whatever subject was important to talk about. Uh, and I learned uh, from those people what happened uh, there. And so I could talk with journalists about what was actually going on with tigers. And also, like, I was in China. It took me uh, uh, like a lot of uh, efforts to get into China. But when I was in China, uh, I was able to talk with a couple of people about the tiger farming, but not without a cost. Because when I was there, I, I visited the tiger farm in the north in Harbin, uh, the Siberian Tiger Park. And, and at that time, there were like 1,400 tigers around um, and when I uh, went back to uh, Beijing um, uh, I had four interviews with journalists and also one with CCTV the Chinese television and they were all cancelled um, and the reason was obvious because they want they didn't want me to talk about the tiger farm that would be uh, a sensitive subject wouldn't it they still don't it, want to talk about it Exactly, exactly, yeah. But I realized there that it was so important for them just to shut, like, I was just a foreigner um, being investigating a little bit, uh, but it was so important for them that they were able to shut me up. Uh, and so I dug in the matter uh, more deep because I really wanted to know why. And I realized that tiger farming is just like a major uh I call it a scam uh, towards the Chinese people. Well, because they're breeding centers, similar to lion farming in South Africa, it's for the bones, for the skins, for the parts. Yeah, that's what people believe. Yeah, actually, it's about making money. Well, yeah, um, absolutely. Maybe, maybe, maybe I can tell you a little bit about what I discovered. Yeah, please do. Uh, because because that's important. Um, like. Everybody's talking about Chinese, uh, traditional Chinese medicines, which are uh, like a major cause for the problems regarding to tigers. But the why of traditional Chinese medicines is often unknown. Um, there's a lot of wisdom in the Chinese ways of treating uh, uh, diseases. Uh, it's in their culture. It's based on a lot of ancient experience, knowledge. Uh, but at the time of uh, Mao Zedong, the the, the one of the most famous or infamous leaders of China. In the period of the Great Famine, which was around uh, 1960, uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, things going on. Uh, a lot of people were dying. In the end, uh, between 15 and 40 million. Officially, it was 50 million, but unofficially, it was 40 million. And there was a lot of social pressure. There was a lot of economic mismanagement. There was a lot of... Uh, agricultural changes that didn't work. Uh, there were also natural disasters, um, which caused the Great Famine. And Mao really had a problem because he wanted to have his Great Leap Forward. And because of his Great Leap Forward and the problems he, uh, he uh, encountered, uh, he couldn't uh, go forward. So he needed to have like uh, more uh, like medical experts. But you need to have um, like education and you have university but even if you uh, educate uh, people it takes time it takes two three four five years to get somebody on the on the right level so what he did um, he ordered uh, 
people to like collect all the folk uh, remedies for diseases. So uh, that happened in quite a short time. Uh, and when all those folk, folk uh, diseases or treatments were uh, collected, he uh, created another red book, uh, uh, and he called it traditional Chinese medicines, because uh, you never call something traditional, but he just called it traditional Chinese medicines because it, um, it he needed to have it institutionalized uh, to uh, prevent all the problems and to cure all the diseases, and he needed to do something. So uh, around the 60s, that was introduced, uh, and that was also the, the start of traditional Chinese medicines. As we know it today. As we know it today. And which um, the, the World Health Organization has uh, added to their um, approved list. Which is something I completely don't understand at all. Because it, it fuels the uh, demand for uh, animals in the wild. Right. So, and let's... let's that was fascinating. Thank you. I did not know that history, so thank you so much for that. But I think at this point we should also kind of differentiate between herbalism and wild animal parts and wildlife tracking for well, TCM. What's, 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 sorry for interrupting, but no. what's interesting is that the traditional Chinese medicines had a big result, actually two results. One is that uh, because of uh, that book, Everybody wanted to create traditional Chinese medicines because they thought that it would help uh, uh, to stop the, the Great Famine. Uh, so what they did, they just started to go into jungles and they killed a lot of animals. Um, and that was the time that the, the Chinese jungles started to get empty, which was uh, the first element in uh, what later become uh, the start of the wildlife crime as we know it today okay. because when the animals in china got scarce they needed to have more animals because it was so like enhanced in in what they were doing uh, they needed to go abroad but they couldn't do it uh, by themselves so uh, what happened there is that like the, the the criminals or the mafia or whatever you call them they took over and they went to the neighboring countries like Russia, like uh, Korea, like uh, Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, Bangladesh. And there they started to hunt uh, the animals they couldn't get uh, in China anymore. So that was like around the 80s. And that was also when uh, those countries realized, well, uh, there's something happening with our wildlife. Uh, they are disappearing and we need to do something about it. And that's, that's also the moment that CITES, as we know it today, uh, uh, was like introduced. Right. Because of, of all those problems uh, regarding to uh, the Southeast Asian uh, countries. Wow, that's fascinating. So when you were there, were you able to talk to any, uh, I'll call them medical professionals or TCM professionals that were willing to debunk these myths? Well, at that time, I didn't realize. Uh, I found out later uh, when I started investigating. So when I was in China, I just, I just experienced what was happening and I didn't really understand what was happening. I just learned later what was happening after reading 
uh, like fascinating uh, material about it. Uh, one of the books I read was of Bernie Andrews. He is a history teacher of the, uh, the Bentley University in the US. Uh, and he explained what happened with traditional Chinese medicines. Uh, that's one of the things. Uh, there were a couple of journalists that were really investigative. Uh, Judy Mills is one of them. She also uh, wrote a book. Uh, I think it's called The Blood of the Tiger, which was also a fascinating book explaining what happened in, in China and also what happened with, with the tiger farming as we know it today. Because be, um, one of the other things that resulted from uh, what was happening with the... the, the, the the lack of animals in China, uh, they realized that they could also breed the tigers uh, to have like supply for the demand from China. Um, so tiger farming was introduced and at first it was introduced because there were no tigers left. Uh, and actually there are two major NGOs involved with the start of the tiger farming, which were uh, WCS and WWF, the World Wildlife Fund. In 1983, they supplied the Chinese government with tigers to start breeding, which was the start of the tiger farming as we know it today. Wow. That's not good news. I hope our <laughs> listeners heard that. So, good intentions gone bad, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. That seems to happen a lot. Well, I'm fascinated by your story because this is how many of us who get involved in conservation get started. We go in with a passion about a species or an area and then we start learning. So we don't have already preconceived ideas of what we're going to do. We learn, we gather in research, we gather data, and then we start figuring out how to create solutions. So at this moment, um, we need to step away for a break. We've got lots more to talk about. So folks, stick with us with my guest, Chris Slappendell, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back. This is Our Wild World. I'm Ellie Weiss, and my guest today is Chris Slappendell, founder of Wildlife Advocates Foundation. So, Chris, you went about learning about tigers, your passion, from winging it from the seat of your pants, which is how a lot of the best conservationists have begun, those of us that have been doing this for a long time. Um, we needed sort of an open sponge brain to be able to accept what we were seeing as we were seeing it and be able to address um, the challenges we saw and create solutions that work that are culturally sensitive as well. Your explanation on traditional Chinese medicine and its explosion onto the world scene in the 80s and now in the 90s was great. Um, That gives us a lot of understanding why these cartels are so successful today. But you have an interesting solution um, or an interesting side avenue, let's put it that way. Brand rights of wildlife. This is something I've talked about a lot. The fashion industry, TV commercials, cars, you name it, are all named after wildlife or wild places. And you have an idea that... Tell us about your idea about using these brand rights and who should really get the money for it. Yeah. Um, Well, basically, it started in Jakarta when I was... uh, and talking with uh, the marketing manager of Tiger Air. Uh, Tiger Air is uh, like a, a, not a very big, but not a very small uh, airliner, low-budget airliner in uh, Indonesia and Southeast Asia. Um, and I told him he needed to do much more with tiger conservation. And I urged him to do it uh, because it's also a risk. Because if people find out that uh, a company is only using the name of a tiger and not doing anything in tiger conservation in these times where uh, like awareness is growing um, they can also uh, uh, just change the, the like the the, the, the thoughts and the, the social re- uh, social responsibility exactly and they they can change their minds uh, because of something like very small that's was like seven years ago and now it's starting to get bigger Uh, but that was the start and i told him why don't you invest one percent of your annual income in tiger conservation and he laughed at me because one percent would be like millions for them and that would be ridiculous so i explained to them well if you do it uh, consider it as a kind of tax because what you do is you are going to uh, 
let your customers pay for that one percent so like an average ticket air ticket will be 101 euro instead of 100 euro nobody's gonna uh, uh, not buy the ticket because it's one euro more expensive uh, on the other hand if you do it uh, you will get so much more engagement with a lot of people that love tigers and i can tell you in indonesia everybody is about uh, tiger so uh, people will start to like your company much much more if you do something like that well and i had a couple of other arguments but that was the main argument and he uh, considered it and in the end after a couple of meetings he agreed with me to do it so he went to his ceo and the ceo really understood and he said yes the problem then was i needed to go because i was traveling and i needed to go to to bangladesh so i told him i'm gonna be uh, in touch with you after my journey which would be in a couple of months um, and exactly in those months uh, the company was declared bankrupt because of all kinds of problems with volcanoes and they couldn't fly and because it was a low-cost carrier, well, lots long story, but it didn't go through. But it, it created this idea about brand rights of wildlife. If all the companies in the world, and it, uh, I did a, a research on that, and it are more than 100,000 companies in the world use like an icon of nature in their branding or in their marketing. If all those companies start investing 1% of their annual turnover into uh, wildlife conservation, then we don't have a problem with funding all the uh, conservation activities because that's such a huge uh, source of income. So uh, is, is this is this part of your foundation model to reach out and pr- provide with your business background expertise how these companies can create this kind of model to engage, you know, not only the CEO but their staff their um, their clientele and the world is it, is it working? At what I see, I, I went into talks with Tiger Air, and after that, I just but that was more publicly. I, I uh, challenged a couple of big companies like Tiger Beer, which is a brand of Heineken, uh, and now Heineken uh, they didn't they didn't do anything in tiger conservation at that time. But recently, they announced uh, cooperation with WWF of more than one million uh, US dollars. So it's actually working, but not in the way I was uh, hoping. thinking about. Well, not hoping. Like WWF is a, is a great organization, but to be honest, I really think that they uh, they are not very businesslike in these kinds of deals. Uh, so they can really do a lot more. And what I want to do with the Wildlife Advocates Foundation, uh, it's, it's, it's like a, a couple of steps we need to take. But in the end, I want to create a situation where I can challenge uh, companies, and in this case, tiger companies, to actually engage with what we are doing and based on the idea of the brand, li- brand, brand rights of wildlife. I think it's a fabulous idea. You could reach out to the fashion industry. Um, you know, so much more advocacy and awareness is being raised throughout 
the human community across the globe in terms of animal rights, animal welfare, and animal wellness, and the need for intact ecosystems and the wild beings that live there, the, the function that they create. We want to call it, you know, free ecosystem services, but it's so much more than that. Um, and that having in situ functional landscapes are important. So car companies, you know, Jaguar, I realize it's not a tiger, but we have see so much advertising. Uh, Tony the Tiger, cereal. Um, exactly. You know, sports, yeah. uh, sports mascots. There's a young man I knew uh, from, uh, um, uh, I can't remember the college at the moment, but... Uh, T Think for about Fox, Fox TV. Oh, let's not even no. Let's not even try Fox TV. Let's let's no. They would probably turn it into something awful. But there are so many worthwhile companies out there that would be interested in this model. Uh, does your foundation have you know plans, hopes to start reaching out and you know providing like a prospectus or a, an idea to these companies? To, to make this happen, because I think the time is ripe. Yeah, I think so too. But first, we need to uh, create something different, uh, which we are working on right now. Uh, and what's that? Well, we are creating... Um, we already have sanctuary where we uh, rescue tigers, especially from Argentina, but we also have like five tigers from, from Ukraine now. Um, and it's growing, and we want to grow that more, and we want to grow that more with tigers. Uh, is is so this is this Ubuntu? This is Ubuntu, yeah. Tell yeah. us a bit about that. Well, Ubuntu is is a sanctuary. Uh, there are many sanctuaries in the world, and they are really, really necessary because uh, there are a lot of problems with captive tigers, and they they need to get out of their horrible situation. So sanctuary are, sanctuaries are needed. And we chose this one because uh, we uh, think that the way this sanctuary is, is managed is uh, how it should be done, with respect for animals, uh, with uh, the right uh, uh, care, with uh, lots of food, but especially with a lot of land where they can roam. Because tigers and, and lions, they really need space to roam. So and and, us, and that's, another that's, way to look at it is not just a space to roam, but a space to thrive. Yeah, and where they're yeah. not on public display and it's not about people. It's about exactly. seeing to the needs of the animals yeah. in their care. Yeah. yeah, being an animal, that's the most important uh, part. Uh, and that's, it's not possible if you exploit them uh, with all kinds of... Uh, shows or with all kinds of sessions where people can take selfies with tigers or swim with tigers, what we see nowadays. Uh, so well, that's, we the same, want- that's the same thing that's happening in Africa and the crossover with lion breeding and lion bones being substituted for tiger bones and then a lot of the roadside zoos and all the spin-off, you know, volunteer, yeah. volunteerism efforts come in and feed our baby tigers that are orphans, which we all know they are not. And uh, the cycle just yeah. keeps continuing. So, yeah. uh, Mbutu, so, how does, how, uh, tell us more. I'm sorry, I so, interrupted. So, uh, so, no, it doesn't matter. Uh, one of the things we said, we don't want to have reproduction uh, with the animals. So, that's... You don't you don't see uh, young tigers or lions with our uh, sanctuary unless we got them from somewhere else. Uh, 
but that's one of the things you will not see uh, with us. Um, but but Ubuntu is just the start. It's it's a good start, uh, but we want to grow uh, much bigger. We uh, within three four years we want to have 250 tigers there, and of course we need to have the money to get those tigers there. If you so people can donate through the yeah, websites. Pe- yeah. Th- through your Facebook page, I am a tiger advocate, and through Ubuntu, which is ubuntuwildlife.com. U B U N as a Nancy T U wildlife.com. Ubuntuwildlife.com. Yeah, exactly. Um, but next to the donations, uh, we were also looking for like an independent uh, business model, a way to make money. Um, to make money with wild animals, you start thinking about exploiting them. But we don't want to exploit the animals uh, while uh, we say that we want to have respect for them. So we created, uh, and it's it's still a thought, it's not only a thought, but it's also a plan, but we created a way to exploit uh, the tigers we are going to have there commercially, without harming them in any way. Tell me about that. I can't, because I don't want to give away what okay. we have thought. <laughs> well, then, no, let's, then let's redefine those two words, commercial exploitation, because that's, that's the trigger phrase that gets the advocates and the welfareists all hot and bothered. So, exactly, yeah. Well, let's, let's take a couple of examples. In the U.S., you have uh, Myrtle Beach. Okay. Myrt- Myrtle Beach, uh, Doc Antle has this uh, tiger exploitation uh, venue uh, where you can have selfies with tigers. You can do like a small safari. And you have to pay a lot of money there to, uh, to be in touch with tigers. Uh, it goes up to 5,000 euro if you have like a private tour with tigers. So 5,000 uh, dollars to be with tigers with a small group uh, and that's quite a viable uh, product or business case uh, but there you still harm the tigers right and we don't want that we don't want to swim uh, like our guests swimming with tigers we don't want uh, them to be on a selfie with tigers so no human interactions have- no interactions ex- ex- exactly exactly tigers need to be tigers in an area the closest thing to the wild possible. And that's what we want to have there, and that's what we are creating now. Well, there are a couple really great sanctuaries here in the U.S., and I'd be more than happy to put you in touch. I had mentioned the Wild Animal Sanctuary, my friend Pat Craig. He's uh, here in Colorado, and uh, he started because he um, ended up getting surplus cubs from zoos. So this is a question. Zoos? We all like zoos, but zoos depend on entertaining their uh, zoo goers, and they depend upon cubs because everybody loves cubs. There's no interaction with the public, but there is a lot of interaction behind the scenes. There's a lot of TV shows about keepers and zoos, and I feel many of these programs are about the people and their constant interference with the animal that they're taking care of and so this is another animal exploitation that is 
model that is making a lot of money and a lot of reality TV series off of it. It sounds good. You're not going in there and playing with the tigers, but nonetheless, yeah. these tigers are not free to thrive. They're, they're bred, um, carefully bred. I do understand the mission to keep genetic pools healthy, but still this model of zoo entertainment takes a lot of money. So I'm going to bring up a question, and I don't mean to be combative. So we do understand the need for wildlife sanctuaries and that there are many tigers in captivity, more in captivity in the U.S. alone that are in the wild around the world. The conflict between people and tigers and we need to get these tigers into a space where they can thrive and that's what your um, model is about and that's what the wildlife animal sanctuary is. People walk over the wildlife and they learn. They never interact with the wildlife and it rescues from all over the world. So there's hooking up with someone like that or, and here's my question, when we get the public to care and raise awareness about the plight of tigers, wild tigers, and we build up more sanctuary, of which, yes, there is a need, but it is an extinction vortex. When these, these animals are not to be bred, they need to be taken care of, be treated humanely for the rest of their life so that they can die well as a tiger. But... If we continue to put so much time, effort, awareness raising into continued captive tigers, even if they're thriving in a wild-like habitat, how do we get that money to go to wild tiger conservation in situ, where we're working with the people who have to live with them and either get killed or have conflicts? That's a beautiful question. Um, the the I, 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 before answering it, I want to go back to what you said before that about zoos. That everybody likes zoos. Not everybody likes zoos. True. What you, true. The, what you see in the world that more and more people uh, start not going to zoos, so they start getting into problems more and more. So more and more zoos have to close down because their visitors' number are declining. Um, Especially a lot of foreign zoos, and I thank you for correcting me on that. You are absolutely right. Yeah, and it's a big industry. It's a big industry. There are 10,000 zoos around the world, and their annual turnover approximately is between 100 and 200 billion U.S. dollars. So it's a big industry, and they want to protect also what they are doing. So that's important to keep in mind uh, that they they have an interest in keeping the status quo. And I want to... I want to break that status quo by showing the world that uh, animals can be treated and can be safeguarded in areas that don't look like zoos. That's the most important thing. I really think that zoos are like products of the past and not of the future. So if you think about that in that way, uh, you have to look at another way of conserving animals. We all say that zoos are important for education and for conservation, but what do they actually do? If you zoom into that, you see that only a number of views of those 10,000 have good education programs, have good conservation programs, and the rest is there only to make money. You're absolutely correct. So are you thinking... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. So if you think about the different model of 
keeping like species alive, then you have to think also about other ways to do it. And, and the, the way we are doing it now with Ubuntu, what I told you, Ubuntu is just the start. Uh, in, in three, four years, you will actually see what we, what I'm now not wanting to tell, but you will see what's, what's happening there. That will be, I think, uh, uh, um, an example for how you also can do conservation, not only for the animals that have like problems because they are in zoos now and, and all kinds of medical problems and etc., but also to create environments uh, to uh, conserve species which are now in danger in a much more humane way, in a much more natural way. You don't need them to exploit, um, uh, to be exploited uh, uh, with, with... On display. Like, yeah, exactly. You, you don't need that anymore. There are like 7.7 .7 billion people in the world and almost everybody has access to, uh, to the Internet. There is a business model in that. You don't need to have people in zoos anymore when you can see them on the Internet. But you need to change that way of, of, of thinking. And the, the, the respect of animals now is just gone because everybody thinks that it's normal to cuddle with a tiger or to have a selfie with a tiger. Or it to go and see one in a zoo, whether in it's a, zoo, exactly. a small habitat or something like a safari park where you drive through and the animal is out there. It's still a zoo. Yeah, and but, but the problem with changing behavior, if there's not a sub substitution for that, people won't change their behavior. So what I want to do is to create a substitution for that that can be multiplied also in the US or in Thailand or wherever those horrible zoos or um, how they call themselves are, uh, it can be done in a different way. So what I, what I really want to do is to set an example for the world to change the way uh, uh, people uh, can enjoy animals without harming them, because that's what it is. So with your new model of what you're trying to create here, a new way of changing behavior that people do not need to go and see a captive tiger, that they're not seeing what a tiger really is. Because in captivity, they have a whole different set of behaviors. Um, they're dependent upon the human factor. They're taken away from, their, when they're bred, they're taken away from their mothers and conditioned and imprinted upon the people so that the keepers can work with these animals in somewhat relative safety. We already know the sanctuaries and the tiger farms, the, the, the bone the tradition the bone trade the traditional chinese medicine are all the animal are all the challenges these iconic species are facing and they are still endangered in the wild uh, do you have you are such a warehouse of facts on tigers and this is what your i am a tiger advocate facebook page is about plus your website wildlife advocates foundation you are a warehouse of information, news, articles, current events. So I definitely encourage my listeners, our listeners, to go to visit both these pages because if there's anything you want to learn about tigers, Chris is one of the guys to do it. Not necessarily biological facts and breeding and science and data, but what's going on with tigers in the world and how this 
our our behavior towards them, our view of them, and how we keep them must change. So um, you're, you've talked about your new initiative, which I'm really excited. So I guess we're going to check back in a, in a little while so we can hear more about this. Keep me posted. Um, I will. But tell us, what are some of the challenges that you found that are going on currently with tigers in the wild? We understand what the problem is in captivity. What are they facing in the wild? Uh, there are a couple of, of really important uh, uh, problems. One of the key problems is habitat loss. Uh, uh, lots of habitat of tigers is being uh, transformed into palm oil plantations, uh, mining uh, areas, uh, or even for housing. Uh, there's a lot of encroach- encroachment of uh, the national parks which are supposed to be protected. So habitat loss is one of the major threats. Then we have lack of prey. Because of like the habitat is getting smaller, there are more competitors for the prey. Uh, humans, uh, uh, they hunt for the same prey as tigers. Bears hunt for the same prey as tigers. So their, preys, their prey base is getting less because of uh, the habitat is getting smaller. Um, one of the most well-known problems is poaching. And everybody thinks that the wildlife crime is the most important way of poaching. And it, it is, but there's also another way of poaching, which is like the farmers that, that keep livestock, uh, for instance, in India. Um, and, and tigers, they just want to have easy food. So if they see a livestock, they will kill it because they can eat it easily. So what farmers do, they know that when a tiger kills uh, a piece of cattle, uh, they can't eat it all, so they come back. And when they come back, before that, the, the farmer puts in a lot of poison, so tigers are being killed because they eat the poison. That happens a lot in, uh, in India, especially in India. But India is by far the biggest tiger country in the world, with almost uh, two-thirds of, of all the tigers in the world. So uh, the poaching... Wild, guy, wild tigers. Yeah, wild tigers, yeah. Okay. yeah they, they almost have 3,000 tigers in the wild. In total, there are 4,642 tigers in the wild. Well, that's a bit uh, better number than we keep hearing, the same old stats that are rolled out. You yeah, know, 3,200 tigers. The, the traditional big NGOs don't communicate about that. Like India announced uh, a couple of months ago that their numbers went up from uh, 2,200 to 2,967. Uh, and if you have such a big increase, then the total number also adds up. But if nobody communicates about that, they all start thinking that the old number is still valid. No, and also, if, if the big orgs, uh, we call them the bingos, the big international NGOs, use the statistics that their work is successful, that tiger populations are increasing, then their model of fundraising that of doom and gloom that we're going to lose them in five to ten years doesn't work. And I find this is a model that I don't care for. You know, the more doom and gloom you get donor fatigue, you get conservation fatigue, you get passion fatigue, you get this feeling there's nothing I can do because the news just keeps getting worse. So what I like about what you're doing in providing good information, up-to-date information and good statistics is it lets us know that our help, 
our advocacy is working. Yeah, and I must tell you, uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, misunderstanding about the effectiveness of the big NGOs. What I what I see in that six seven years of experience in the field, what I see that a lot of smaller NGOs have much more effect than those big NGOs. Uh, but it's not only the NGOs. We always forget that there are a lot of people in governments working every day so hard to save, uh, in this case, tigers. If there were no governments, there would be no tigers. NGOs can't stop uh, people from killing tigers. Governments can. Uh, but they sometimes need the help of NGOs, especially to keep them sharp. Because governments have two uh, agendas. They have a commercial agenda and they have like the wildlife agenda. And the commercial agenda is to create jobs and creating jobs also means palm oil or mining or whatever. So there's always this balance they are seeking and you need NGOs to keep the balance uh, in favor of animals. Because if the NGOs do, don't do that, then there will be no animals left because everything goes to the economic agenda. Well, there's an analogy here, you know, with elephant and rhino, particularly elephant in, uh, you know, southwestern Africa. And the way I define it is if we put the burden of poverty, poverty alleviation and economic development on the backs of wildlife, we are putting an undue burden on something that cannot pay for itself. The model, if it pays, it stays. There are certainly ways, as you're saying, to create conservation initiatives that create jobs and that create awareness and advocacy and the will, the will, political and public, to live with predatory, carnivorous wildlife. That requires the engagement of the people who live with it on the ground. So is part of your model to help advocate through the government's legislation to help implement CITES rules to get people to change their awareness of human-wildlife conflict to be able to live with a certain amount of loss and yet still come out ahead without killing Tigers. Exactly. Well, there's a beautiful example in, in Bangladesh, in the Sundarbans, which is a, like a mangrove forest. Um, and what they implemented there is, is um, a very smart way of uh, engaging people with tiger conservation. So uh, in the old days, when a tiger killed uh, one of the villagers, there would be like a, a, a hunt for tigers uh, just to get even with them. So the tiger was always being killed uh, because like two or three hundred villagers uh, chased it. Um, what they did in the Sundarbans is create a system that it's logical that a tiger uh, once in a while kills a person, but the tiger is necessary to keep up the ecosystem, which is viable uh, and is needed uh, to keep the people alive. So by killing the tiger, you actually kill yourself. And that was like the key of, of that program. And it really worked uh, very well because after implementing that program uh, and that, that way of thinking, um, there were so much less uh, hunts for tigers than they were before. So it, it can be done, but you need to have like the ideas to change uh, a culture 
um, and often you need to have money. In this case, it was done by an NGO, which was funded by somebody with a lot of money. So it could be done to help those people. And that was like based on a donating model. But I really think that the world needs to change because otherwise we always um, be uh, counting on donors and we can also like do it ourselves. Well, this For is where your model of, you know, social uh, responsibility, no, your social responsibility and working with corporations and yeah. tiger branding. No, yeah. For instance, if, if you buy a tiger beer, you know that 1% of their turnover would be into conservation, then well, I would be willing to buy more tiger beer right? instead of uh, buying a, another beer. Right, but 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 first we need to have those companies realizing that they also have a responsibility. Right. Well, that's where the work is, you know. Exactly. So yeah. I I think your idea and your awareness of brand recognition is really critical. I've thought of this many times myself. There's we we love wildlife. We we do. It's spiritual. You know, we love wildlife prints. We love animals we love the idea of being out there in the wild and seeing them not everybody's going to get to so therefore they go to a zoo but that experience is not giving you the wild therefore we end up with cartels killing wildlife for the illegal markets for traditional chinese medicine which is removing these species and what you just said in in the sunderbuns the more we kill them the more we are um, killing ourselves so this this yeah. model is ripe the time is ripe for yeah. this this paradigm shift in human behavior and how we choose to live within the environments that we have which yeah. includes carnivores yeah yeah the timing is right but and on the other hand we need to be like focused on today uh, and by your permission I want to uh, tell about what's going on in Argentina. Argentina is a country that is economically like devastated. It's it's like everybody's saying that it's bankrupt with uh, inflation of like 60%, which is crazy. Um, because there is no money and all those municipalities that have zoos can't afford to feed the animals, a lot of animals are suffering. What we are doing now with the Wildlife Advocates Foundation is uh, rescuing those animals. So what we basically do now is still based on the old model of uh, having donations because we don't have the new model yet. But we are now actually uh, trying to rescue uh, two groups of animals, uh, tigers and uh, tig uh, and tigers and lions. Um, one group is now, you don't believe it, but it's really true. They are on a train, an old deserted train they have like a small compartment of a train and there are four tigers. They live there. Sometimes they get food, sometimes they get water, but they are constantly exposed to the to the sun. It's really like a horror situation. We want to rescue them. And we have La Rioja, which is a small town in the north and the north of Argentina is really poor. And there's this zoo that has now 11. There were 14, but a couple of animals already died. There are now 11 animals that need to be out of there as soon as possible. So what we uh, decided, we want to uh, to rescue them as soon as possible because they need to get out. And that's also what we are doing. So we need to gradually get into the new model, but we have to use the old model uh, because we don't have the new model yet. But we need to rescue animals because they are suffering. 
so people really, people can donate to this cause yes yeah exactly if they go to the website of uh, the wildlife advocate foundation.org uh, they can see a donut donate uh, button and there they can donate uh, money and we really need it and we call out not only for uh, the the people that love animals but also to companies that want to contribute uh, we want to cooperate with companies also because i really think that companies have a responsibility as well and up until now a lot of companies they want to do something about global climate change and they want to plant trees but they also can save animals if they want and i think they want it but they need to step up that's right. what i really uh, want to tell so listeners this is something we can do to advocate for saving not just tiger not only tigers but all species is talk to your legislators you know talk to your friends talk to your neighbors share this podcast there are things we can do i know it seems really crazy out there right now we're hearing a lot of bad news in terms of our environment but we cannot lose hope we have to find those ways to protect what we have now so that we can create better solutions um, unfortunately, Chris, we're out of time. This was a fascinating, yeah. fascinating conversation, and I hope to talk to you more. So um, thank you so much for your time. You're absolutely welcome. And and thank, thank you so much for, uh, for having me in your show. I, I appreciate it. Um, this was great. We learned a lot. So um, meanwhile, folks, do what you can do. We can take action. Turn your passion into action and enjoy our wild world thank you again for joining us this week be sure to tune in next monday at 11 a.m eastern time 8 a.m pacific time for another edition of our wild world with your host ellie weiss on the voice america variety channel think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now <laughs>